Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Thanks so much for joining us. We're excited to bring you another episode of The Goal, where we discuss soccer at all different levels with some of the most interesting, accomplished, and influential personalities in the region. We've got a great guest for you today, as I'll be joined in studio by Boston College women's soccer head coach Jason Lowe. Jason was named BC's head coach in January of 2019. Prior to that, he was a longtime member of the coaching staff at Wake Forest, where he also played as a goalkeeper from 1994 to 1997. He also coached at Alabama prior to his arrival at Wake Forest. Hey, Jason. So great to have you in here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, a little short commute right down uh, the highway for you, right from the BC campus, so that worked out well. Yeah, not too bad. Just uh, finished practice and hopped right over. So let's start with um, what brought you to Boston College. Obviously, you're an ACC guy playing at Wake Forest, having Mm -hmm. coached at Wake Forest. What was it about BC that drew you in and really piqued your interest? Yeah, like you said, I've always loved ACC from being a player in it, uh, coaching in it. It's the best conference in America, and uh, the jobs don't open up too often. So when this one opened up, I, uh, I jumped all over it and was fortunate to make it through the process and, and be selected. It's a dream come true, especially for uh, my first time as a head coach. And to have an opportunity like this was, was awesome. Is that difficult to leave a job at your alma mater? Obviously, being a Wake guy and, and having played there and coached there, I, I imagine you developed some pretty strong relationships at the university. Is it hard to leave there and come all the way up the East Coast to Boston? We're coming off, I think, a Sweet 16 run and had some really, really good players there. But I always knew I had been interviewing uh, for a few jobs. Actually, ironically, had looked at UMass the year before and kind of turned that job down. Uh, Great opportunity there, but had been looking and interviewing, and Tony was in line with me. He was helping me develop to make the next step as a head coach. So, yeah, it was difficult to leave. Such a great opportunity. Couldn't couldn't turn it down. Is it awkward to to turn a job down? I mean, you mentioned you, you were kind of, you were there, the UMass job was there for you. Is it awkward to say thanks, but no thanks to a job? Is that, because it's your career. Yeah. I mean, you want to do what you want to do and be where you want to be, but is that an awkward conversation? When yeah, you're offering you probably one of the most terrifying decisions <laughs> I had because you think, okay, I finally get an offer. You, you convince an AD to, to give you an offer right. and, and hire you. And, and then, yeah, you decide that, you know, that's not the right move for you at the right time. And yeah, you wonder if you're going to ever get another one. So yeah, it's pretty terrifying. <laughs> that was a, that was a frightening Christmas that year. <laughs> right. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, one thing about BC is it's been a winning program. If you look back last couple decades, it's been a strong program. I mean, more times than not, they finished with a winning record. You come in 2019 and then you get a season in, but then COVID happens yeah. and that kind of throws a wrinkle into everything you're probably wanting to do and disrupts everything. Walk us through that whole time frame of coming in and then only being there for a year and then having that disruption. It was it was an interesting time. Like you said, we came, I came in that spring. I think we had 11 players on the roster that spring to work with. And the class that was coming in in the fall was already signed. So it was just trying to get up to speed, get a staff in as quickly as we could. So you're trying to you know implement that and, and juggle a million things. So I got through that first uh, fall season and I think we got three, maybe four weeks into the spring where you're really, okay, now we can work on some things, develop some players, look at getting some transfers in, that sort of thing. And then, yeah, we get shut down for COVID. I didn't see that one coming. And then our the second year was really just having the opportunity to play in COVID, which our university did a great job of 
supporting us and allowing us to take a million COVID tests to make sure that we could get out and be safe and play. And But having the split season was uh, a little bit bizarre. Having the ACC season in the fall, which wasn't the schedule we were scheduled right, to play. Right. And then in the spring, everyone else up in this region was playing their conference schedule. So we just filled in where we could. So that was kind of week by week. Games would get canceled and things like that. So it was nice to this year is the first time we've, we've said for our juniors, no one on our returning roster has ever had a spring season uh, where they weren't in a competitive season. Right. So it's just been nice to finally get into the development aspect of it all. Communication wise, what did you do during that, that awkward time during the pandemic when you're just you're trying to stay on top of the players and make sure they're doing what they can, but they're limited in probably the capacity that they can work on their, their technical skills and, and weightlifting and anything. What did you do? Was there Zoom meetings with the team? I mean, how did you stay in, in touch with yeah, them? Yeah, we tried to get as creative as everyone else did. Yeah. A lot of Zoom meetings, Zoom workouts when we were allowed to do that with our strength and conditioning coaches. We tried to work on our leadership development and kind of some of the softer skills and things that we could, get some speakers and just try to do whatever we could to, you know, continue to develop. It was, and the main thing was just keeping the mental health of the players up, yeah. having school and the sport and everything taken away from them. Um, just trying to get them through. So any game that we played was a win, just because it was something active that they were allowed to right. do socially. Right. right. So that was really the goal through the whole COVID season. Can you imagine a more difficult situation for a coach? I mean, that's going to be. I, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're you're trying to put a culture and a stamp on a program and then you're just you can't do it i mean yeah. that's gonna be just the most bizarre experience yeah not the most ideal uh start to a head coaching career but you know everything happens for a reason and the work that we've put in over the last three years i'm really proud of where we're at now we've trusted the vision and it's it's taken longer than probably some people may want yeah. because like you said it's a tradition of winning and but throwing some curveballs and, and you just deal with it right. and i give the players a, a lot of credit for being resilient through the whole thing What's like the Jason Lowe vision or, or culture that you try to uh, put into the program? Well, if you kind of had to boil that down to a couple elements that are key to it, what, what would you say they are? Yeah, off the field, first off, we just want really good people in our program. BC is a difficult place. We tell them all the time. You're studying in one of the best schools in the country. You're playing in the top conference in the country, and you're in one of the best cities in the country, right? So coming in, it's not for everyone. It's a really difficult and, and high-intensity environment to perform, and we want kids that are wired to, to want to be successful in that. And then on the field, we want to play attractive soccer, and me and the staff talk about it all the time. There's a way that we play that I think is entertaining to watch, and but it takes time to develop. And I think, sure, could we have gotten more wins and play an ugly soccer early? Yeah, probably. Right. I feel really good when I watch, especially the spring and the games that we've had and how we, with the players that we have and the ones that, come, that are coming in, that we're doing the right things. And it's built to hopefully be successful for a long time and not just have a, a flash-in-the-pan type of season. Sure. And how would you say BC compares to Wake Forest in terms of like campus, maybe size of the school area that you're in? Are they, are they comparable places or are they very different? Yeah, similar uh, – School-wise, in a lot of ways, and that's one of the things that drew me to BC, we've got great leadership with Pat Kraft now, and he gets it. So you know, I think that's one of those things when Martin Jarman, uh, who's now at UCLA, brought me in, and they shared the vision of where they, it was pe leadership from schools that understood how to get there. In terms of academics, this, the kids are wired very similar, which right. is, makes it really easy because I don't do a whole lot of running around doing class checks. Right. Kids do great in school, and they're involved, and they, they're in the service and things like that. So very similar in terms of values and, and what makes them tick. So, But obviously, it's been different having Boston as a backdrop. Yeah. I think right after we finished preseason, the whole team went to the Maroon 5 concert at Fenway, <laughs> and I've never had, you know, I'm like, 
oh, wait, that's why you come to Boston, right? So you <laughs> right. can do those sort of things. Those so. venues, yeah. 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 And Wake Forest, is that, where is that? Is that in Raleigh? Where Winston-Salem. Is Winston-Salem, yeah, that's right. So, that's yeah, right. Western North Carolina, just north of uh, Charlotte. Right, west right. Of Raleigh-Durham. So city-wise, a little bit different than Boston. Smaller, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, much smaller. Kind of switching gears. In baseball, a lot of times, uh, the sentiment is that, like, catchers make great coaches because they just see what's in front of them. And mm-hmm. they have, their vantage point of the field is just is different than everyone else. They're seeing it all. I'm curious if you think that's the same type of thing with soccer as, as a goalkeeper. I mean, because nobody has a better vantage point of what's in front of them than a goalkeeper. And they're the best directors of, of a team, of anyone. They, they, they see it all. Do you feel like that helped you in terms of your coaching style? Yeah, I hear that a lot, and I don't know if I fit that bill. I mean, <laughs> we're all just wishing it on you. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I'm certainly focused on the defense and my new uh, associate head coach, Taylor Schramm, who's a standout player at Penn State working with our attackers. But I, I gravitate more towards the attacking end. Maybe it's because all the years of getting shot on and <laughs> just trying to, you know, make an impact on that end of things. But it's just more fun, yeah. uh, right? But I think the way we play is from back to front. So from that perspective, from the goalkeeper building out of the back, keeping the ball on the ground, being able to switch the point of attack, all those things. I think from the, I do look at the game from that perspective. Um, and then defensively, how we're connected and dropping back in and, and defending together and pressing, things like that. So... Maybe, but yeah, I still always gravitate towards the attacking end. Right. Were, were you always a goalkeeper? I was, yeah. yeah. From yeah. like, how, how little were you when you started playing? Seven. Oh, wow. I think, yeah. I remember Danny Sasserchi was out one weekend and he, <laughs> he had the different color jersey and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Got to wear the gloves. Got the gloves and dive on the it. ground. That was it. That was it for me. So I had two really good friends back in Cleveland that moved up the street from South Africa and they had this awesome basement that we just went down and played every yeah. single day. And that was it. And we taped the wall and, you know, put a goal up and they right. threw me in. I didn't know any better. And that was it. Well, it's funny. My youngest son is six and he's just starting to play. And at his age, we just rotate kids and nut, as you would know. Yep. And they all want to play goalie because they just see the gloves. Yeah. And they're like, wait, I can use my hands. I can yeah. dive on the ground. Yeah. I can do all this. So they all want to be a goalie right now. So it's funny that, like, I'm actually surprised more people – don't want to continue through that. Like goalies, a, a certain mentality. To yeah, do that. I mean, it's it's a lot of pressure. Obviously, yeah. it's a lot on you. But I'm actually surprised more kids don't want to stick with it. Did you? On the flip side, did you ever? want to be a goal scorer? Did you ever have those thoughts in your head where maybe I want to play striker and score goals? I really didn't. I played I played lacrosse for a bit in high school, yeah. and I, I, was a, I was a midi, so I, I kind of got my fix, I think, attacking out of that. Like now I'm not hopping in goal because no one defends. <laughs> so you can put me up top all day. Right, right. You know? But, yeah, never really. I just yeah, I fell in love with it, and I was just obsessed with goalkeepers. I grew up, the club I grew up playing for, East-West in, in Cleveland, Brad Friedel was actually oh, nice. the under-19 goalkeeper when I was in eighth grade. So he was kind of like a role model for you. He came him. back from UCLA after winning the national championship and trained us, and that was that was it for me. Having a role model like that and just watching him come all the way up to the ranks and and everything. So yeah, what are the on, on the flip side of that? What are the biggest challenges challenges of being a former goal who's now a head coach at the at the high le- high level college uh, program? What are the what are the biggest challenges? I mean, you've been in the game now for a long time, so you've probably figured out these challenges, but maybe. When you're first starting out trying to relate to other other positions and other players, what were the biggest challenges? Yeah, I think the hardest part is you kind of use being a goalkeeper coach to get in the game, mm-hmm. uh, to get in the coaching game, but then not getting pigeonholed 
um, as just a goalkeeper coach, right? If you want to develop and be a head coach, a lot of times coaches who are hiring just say, well, he's just the, he just works with the goalkeepers. And having great mentors that allowed me to work with the field players and trusted me, I mean, from Sue Papperk and Emery, my first job with Division Three, she let me get involved with the entire team. Todd Bramble was the same way at Alabama, Tony Deleuze. So I think just having uh, great mentors that lets you and kind of shows you you know, how to work with different groups on the field, whether it's the midfielders, the forwards, you just kind of get reps with that, but you need that freedom to be able to grow and learn that way. Right. And, and you've done, and in your past, I mean, you've, you've really kind of specialized in working with defenders and goalkeepers, right, at, the, at previous stops. I mean, you sure. built, built some really solid defenses throughout throughout your time at Alabama and Wake Forest. Now you mentioned the style at BC, you want to play more of a aesthetically pleasing style. It's not just necessarily all about the defense and preventing goals, but still in the back of your mind, how, how much is that a part of you, just not wanting to surrender goals and wanting to have that steady back line? Yeah, I mean, that's been a huge emphasis for us in the offseason. Obviously, we, we gave up way too many goals in, in the ACC, and we part of that was a lack of depth, which I think we've addressed with recruiting. But yeah, I mean, you in the ACC, you can't give up goals. You can't give up two, three goals a game and hope to do anything right. in there. So you've got to have a really you know stingy defense and that starts from from the forwards pressing all the way to the back you you have to have a real commitment to it and then when you're playing against the best teams you got to be composed to to transition and and attack out of it so I think we've given the team some some good opportunities to work on that and develop particularly the spring what's it like going through that ACC schedule I mean there's really no off day I mean (laughs) as soon as one match ends you're ready for the next top 25 team to come play is that something that you embrace that I mean you must embrace it but it's also at the same point got to give you some headaches i mean there's just no there's no easy matches yeah, so what's no. it like going through that schedule yeah and credit to our league i mean there's there's really all the coaches are fantastic i mean i'm in awe when we have a head coaches meeting and i mean you've got coaches that have been there 20 30 40 years doing it at a really high level but whenever we show recruits our schedule and the logos for the acc part of the season i mean their faces light up and right. i tell them that's the fun part it's the hardest part because every game you have to be up for it we're playing to play 10 ACC teams in a season for anybody outside the conference would be ridiculous, right? So <laughs> and we play 10 and you don't play three, so it's a kind of rotation. But, you know, no matter who's the three that are off your schedule, it's still going to be a difficult right. one. But, yeah, I mean, it's the fun part, and there's nothing uh, you can't shy away from it. I mean, this fall we start off with Florida State, the national champions here and here at Newton. Then we head down to Carolina and Duke, and then we come back for Notre Dame. So Man, it is what it is. It never stops. Yeah, you jump into it. Uh, to that point, though, I will say any player I've ever spoken to or done a story on who's committed to BC, I mean, I think the first, it's either the first or second par- uh, sentence out of their mouth is, I want to play in the ACC. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just what they're embracing. And yeah. I want to play against the best competition in the country, and that's BC allows that. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it is an advantage to have for in New England. I mean, we only have the one ACC team in New England, so yeah. I would think that's going to be a recruiting advantage maybe for you that you can offer something that no other D1 school in New England can offer. Yeah, certainly, and we, and we sell it a lot. I mean, we had Jenna Bike, who's you know, our right. uh, had her for six years at, at BC. She's been in camp with, with Gotham, and um, you know, one of the things, she dropped by practice this morning, and when she got to invited to camp in at Gotham, she's looking around, and it's all players she's played against. Right. Christy Mewis, obviously, local product from BC, mm-hmm. is there on the roster, and countless others, so it's so much less intimidating for her to walk in and say, oh yeah, I've, I've played against all these players, and, and they're all the best players in the world. So, yeah, I think just that opportunity, like I said, to study at a high level and to play at the highest level in the ACC is, it's something that people want, but we we also want them to understand what that really takes to be successful, and it takes a lot. I give a lot of credit to our players for the sacrifices and the time that they put in. I gave them an off day yesterday, and they were all still out in the field training, right. so it's, it's that type of mentality. 
New England's soccer journals, The Goal, will return after this. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. What does it take to become a champion? Teamwork, talent, grit, and above all, opportunity. HUSAC Elite Soccer has all that and more. Let's go, let's go, let's go! HUSAC School is located in beautiful Hoosick, New York, right on the edge of New England. And HUSAC students don't just dominate on the field, they dominate in the classroom. Students at HUSAC benefit from a rigorous academic program, expert instruction from an amazing faculty and staff, fine and performing arts, championship athletics, and the once-in-a-lifetime experience that comes from a student body of over 200 students from more than 40 different countries. Soccer teams practice. Elite soccer teams train. HUSAC Elite Soccer. Isn't it time you went from good to elite? more information, check out HUSAC.org. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England soccer? New England Soccer Journal and AnySoccerJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England soccer scene. Have every issue of New England Soccer Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to AnySoccerJournal.com to receive soccer coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division one, two, and 3 colleges, showcases, rankings, and so much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to AnySoccerJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Soccer Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. How much do you have to level with them about what, what's, in, what's coming for them once they get, you know, when a freshman comes into BC and they don't really know what they're getting into with this quality of soccer, how much do you kind of level with them? And, and I guess more of my question is, What's kind of your approach as a coach? Are you kind of like a straight shooter with, with the kids? Are you more of a, a player's coach that they can maybe come to you for advice? And, and Or are you more of a big expectation guy? What's kind of your whole mentality? Yeah, I think one of the things that just with the, the, the change and me coming in, we've thrown a lot of young players into the fire early. I think about... Sam and Michaela Agresti, local kids who have started every game right. pretty much. Swampskit kids, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. They've had to jump into it right from their freshman year, and, and they never really had anybody to play under, sort of learn from. I think we finally evolved to the point where like our incoming fresh can jump in and, and be great if they're ready, but not have the pressure of carrying the team like we've had in the, in the past. So I think that's been a huge advantage. In terms of my style, I think one of the, the best things for me having this spring is that it's my first semester with them where we weren't preparing for games every single week. So I know I've grown a lot over the last three years, and I think we're at a point where we've just 
had an opportunity to, you know, really turn over every little stone in our program and see how are we do things, how can we do it better, get input from the players, from our leadership council, from our seniors in terms of how they want the experience to be. So I think I'm, I'm demanding. I think I'm going to try to be more collaborative. But I think you know, I definitely have a vision of how I want it to be, but I want it to be the players uh, that kind of put the art to the science, I think, if you will, in there. So. Perfect podcast segue too. You're like a pro here. I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk about spring. I know you guys are, are playing a spring schedule, and yeah. you mentioned off here how important that is uh, for development and just uh, for growing the program. How has it gone so far this spring? It's been great. It's been really great. We've played four matches so far. We started off at the end of February. We went down to play Gotham I'm in an exhibition down in Red Bull at the training facility down there. Uh, Scott Parkinson and his staff were were very gracious and letting us come down, helping them prepare for the Challenge Cup and. That was an unbelievable experience for the players, just stepping out in the field against Krieger and Harris and, right. and everybody else, Cerrone and all the, all the top players that are down there and really seeing the pace of the play and seeing how fast it's, that's really the only way we could replicate what we see in the ACC. So I went down and had a great experience with that, had spring break, came back and then I've had three games so far. You know, it's been really good. I mean, we've outscored our opponents, I think 14 to two, something like that. So the offense is coming alive and the defense is, is figuring it out as well. I've been able to get everybody into the games. So, you know, it's been great. It's been really good. What do you think BC has to do in the next one to two years to kind of get back into that national championship contention is a, a term that everyone talks. I mean, sure. that's obviously a goal for everybody to get in that, that echelon where you're, th- you're in the tournament and you're thinking about that national championship. What do you guys, what are the main things you guys have to do in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think save the COVID year, which was kind of, you know, just sure. was what it was. Yeah. I think non-conference games, I think we feel pretty confident going there. We've been pretty successful. I think we've only lost one since I've been here in the normal fall seasons. So I think having... Winning those games and I think scheduling a bit and making sure that we've got games that we can get that prepare us for the ACC season. So like last last year we went down to South Carolina. You know, we've got to play on turf. We've got to play on grass. We've got to play in heat and cold. So it's a little different for us than some of the other teams that we compete with. This year we've got Michigan coming in who made it to the Elite Eight. So they'll be here in August. So that'll be you know, a good, really good tune-up for us. And I think just getting momentum. And I think one of the big things I think is just finding our identity, which I think we've kind of done a made really good strides on solidifying so that when we get to ACC play, we know who we are, what we do well, what uh, adjustments we need to make. And I think that's where I think we've grown probably the most. So we're focused on the ACC part of the season. I mean, that's RPI is always built in for us. So that's not something we have to worry about. It's just getting wins and and just putting yourself in, like you said, getting to the tournament and and not just getting in, but we wanted to build a team that can make deep runs, the Elite Eight, Sweet 16, Final Four type runs consistently. So what are the main things when you're out on the recruiting trail? What are the main things you're looking for from players? Yeah, a couple of things. I think I always love a story when we're talking with kids, kind of what makes them tick and what really drives them. So I think if you go through our locker room, there's a lot of really interesting stories, whether it's just hardship they've been through or just somebody who overlooked them or just, just something that really drives them every day to want to be great. We always talk about for us two things that are really big is just having a, a we over me mentality. We're on a big stage in soccer, academics. So if you take care of the team, everything you want individually is going to happen for you. And then my biggest probably thing is just having an attitude of gratitude. My kids can't say thank you enough and they're really, really good about it. Just to, whether it's they're in the dining halls, whether they're uh, on campus, to our strength coach, whatever it is. I think those two things, um, when you look at our culture, I think those are two things that I'm really proud of that I think are kind of an everyday thing for them now. 
Where does that value, that stock that you put in gratitude, where does that come from? Is that something from your upbringing, from when you were a kid, or is there like a person in your life that kind of taught you that that whole mentality? I walked on at Wake, and I didn't know that. You, yeah, 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 I was a walk on. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I just I went to the campus, and it was the place that I felt like I could be. And thankfully, Jay Vitovich, who's the men's coach at, at Pitt, gave me an opportunity, and. But he let me know every single day that opportunity could vanish right. very quickly. I remember one one year complaining about some, a pair of sweats that didn't fit. And he said, <laughs> "You know, this gear is free, right?" <laughs> right, exactly. Right. So I, he always kept me really, really humble. He's still a great mentor of mine. But I just think just that, and if you didn't take anything out of the last two years with COVID about being grateful for everything, then you just missed the point of right. what we just went through. So yeah, I think it's just I'm trying to develop the players to be great in life afterwards, on the field, off the field. I mean, there's I coach absolute rock stars. I mean academically the jobs they're getting out of bc after they're done i mean it's i'm really blessed so i just try to you know pay that forward when i can i would think yeah yeah that walk-on mentality that you had the trying to prove yourself the trying to prove the naysayers wrong i i think that that kind of explains why you're so interested in players journeys and just like and i would think that's that's a cool thing because i often don't hear about um from coaches that that's something they look at. It's, you know, a lot of time it's just like, what do you see on the field? Okay. That kid's talented. We yeah. Gotta, we got to grab that kid. But I think that would digging a little deeper. That helps you as a coach. Yeah. And even my most talented players, I mean, they still, it's funny, right? Until you dig into players and the recruit stories, you never really know what they've been through and what's really driving them. I and mean, some of it's just things with their family. Some of it's loss of a parent. You never really know. So whenever I, they come with a really good story or just things like that. I, I tend to gravitate to it because it's somebody that um, you can push and they want they want to be pushed and they want to be to be better. As I'm sure you're aware of now, having been in Boston for a few years, we have a, a really good prep school soccer scene here in New England. We have a really good club soccer scene in New England. How important is keeping the most talented players in New England home in New England and getting them to go to BC? Yeah, it's absolutely a priority for us. Um, you know, I think when I came in, one of the things that I wanted to make sure was that at least I personally was sort of Switzerland with the clubs because I know there's a, there's a pretty intense club <laughs> yeah, scene and that's a good way to put here. it. Yeah. So I don't work with any one club uh, coaching wise. I want the best players from from every whoever has the best ones. That's something we talk about before June 15th every year. We're going to go after the best kids in New England. We may get some, we may not get some, but we're going to go after them. And then some of the kids that we've we've gotten, maybe were some that weren't necessarily looked at as the best players, but we we you know, pride ourselves in the development piece. So if it's somebody that we think we can develop and grow uh, in the four years that they're with us, then it might be someone like, huh, I didn't know that they were going to come to BC, but you know, I want you looking down the road a couple years later at how well they've developed. And I think that's really kind of the hallmark of the program if we can have it that way. What's your stance on specializing in sports? I ask every coach this I ever talk to because it's, it's just interesting. I think back to like when I was growing up in the 90, I graduated high school in 2000. I mean, most kids were playing multiple sports. Mm-hmm. You had you had your kids who were playing club soccer, but yep. it wasn't it wasn't at the volume that it is right now. Yeah. Kids who are getting in bed with one sport that early. What's your stance on when a kid who wants to play college soccer should really think about jumping in full force with that, getting involved with a club? And is it and if they don't play club, is it like a non starter that a kid could even get to a division one college level? As far as multi sports, I love it. I mm-hmm. mean I love when kids hoop and right. play lacrosse and do, you know, a bunch of different things. We've got one kid coming in, I think it's a black belt. So I love when they have different disciplines because I think it adds balance to their lives. I think they get just different opportunities to lead and be a part of a team. So for me I always tell them if they can make it work, it's great. Now if they're 
I usually call it the don't get hurt season if they're playing another sport, right? <laughs> right? I just don't want them to get injured before they get to us. But, you know, most of them take care of themselves and, and it's not, not really an issue. So, yeah, I'm a big supporter of it. How old were you when you realized that soccer and goalkeeping was kind of your athletic? I think probably ninth grade. Ninth grade. Like making, you know, it sounds cheesy now looking back <laughs> at it, but like making varsity as a freshman was it's like... a big deal. It was the it was biggest a, yeah. ego oh boost ever. Oh my God, that's right? all I wanted when I was in Right, you got yeah. to hang out with the older kids right. and it, your enrollment in the high school that much right. easier. So I think from then on... You're wearing the shirt and tie on the varsity day like the rest all of the that. team. And yeah. Was, oh, you must yeah. be on the varsity. The letter yeah. jacket. Yeah. I was into all that stuff. Right. So I think from then on, that was, it was probably it for me I played baseball until I think eighth grade and yeah you know, just I couldn't take the rainouts like that just drove me right. crazy getting so hyped for a game and then <laughs> they call yeah and then you have like 10 games a week right. but I still love the game but right. it's, I, I had to switch to something we could play year-round what's your fondest memory of your playing career what sticks out to you when you think back to your college playing career Oh, geez. Um, not playing a whole lot. No, I think the fact that when I look back, when I look at where the Wake men's program is now, everyone's like, oh, man, you played for them. We weren't good right. when we played. We had, But it has that cachet. I mean, Wake Forest just has the name has that yeah, cachet. Yeah, but like, so my freshman year, Walt Chiswich, who was a legendary you know, coach with U.S. soccer, passed away before the first game of the season. So Vidovich got thrown into taking over a program that he, he didn't expect. And so the fact that I, we say we were kind of part of that foundation where they built it up, and I think the year after I graduated, they got back into the NCAA tournament, and from then on, haven't looked back. I think I've always loved those types of programs and those types of projects, and I think when I look back at whether it was Alabama, where we hadn't been to the tournament in eight years, and then we built up a program that got back in, or Wake, I got there on the heels of Aubrey Bledsoe and Katie Stengel leaving. Really, I just look at BC as another extension. I don't know why I keep getting drawn to these sort of rebuilding projects, but there's something um, in you that there's yeah. something that's, that's really rewarding when when you say it come to fruition. So you were at Alabama before we let you go. I just want to mention this too. You were at Alabama yeah. when they won three football national championships. I think it was three. That's, yeah, that's a great time to be there. And we talked a little off air about Nick Saban. Uh, you mentioned how he's just a great guy, great to be around. Was there a Nick Saban story that he ever spoke to your team? I mean, any, any funny Nick Saban story or anything interesting that sticks out about being around coaching royalty like that? Yeah, it's funny. I was actually joking with, she'll probably be mad at me, but uh, Cassie Miller, who's uh, now, she played at Florida State, but she's a uh, goalkeeper for uh, Casey Current now. And uh, Coach Saban was fantastic. He would meet with any recruit for any sport. He just, whatever would, you know, help push the athletic department forward, he was all about. So we had her in for a visit, and I built this whole thing. I'm going to go in. I have one more surprise meeting for you. So she goes in the office, and he does the whole same recruiting pitch. I mean, the, the rings are on the table. <laughs> he hits the button under the desk and shuts the door, and she goes in there and spends probably 20, 25 minutes with, with Coach Saban yeah. and doing the same recruiting pitch he does with Julio Jones and, right. you know, Hans Hightower and all that. It's not even his player. No, yeah. not his player. And uh, so I'm thinking, oh, I think I've got this kid. Right? Yeah. I pulled out, like, the trump card. Yeah. And, yeah, she went to Florida State. <laughs> so, yeah, that one didn't work out. Oh, man. Um, so I'm, like, embarrassed to see Coach Saban oh, after you got to let him have it for that one. He missed that. That's maybe the only crew he's ever lost. Yeah, yeah. But being from Cleveland and him having been with the Browns, I always tried to pull those cards just to, you know, get back in his his, his graces but yeah he, he's a fantastic guy I think both him and, and Belichick I mean obviously they're good friends for right, a reason but right. what they do the way they run an organization is one of the most impressive things I've, I've ever seen and I definitely took a lot of notes from my time down there Good stuff, Jason I, I really appreciate you coming in this was this was awesome that, yeah, I mean, that, that was you. a fast uh, fast interview it went by really fast yeah, I think we had a lot, a lot of great conversations so I really appreciate it Awesome thanks so much Thanks again to Jason for joining the podcast and engaging in a great conversation I'm Matt Langoni, 
Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by Steve Safran and is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.